Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we are all realizing that the quality of our air, especially our indoor air, is really darn important. In 30 minutes, Puro Air will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. This podcast contains adult themes and graphic descriptions of violence. It may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. With less than a week before the primary election, gubernatorial candidate Mike Cox is accused of attending the rumored but never proven Manukian Mansion party, where exotic dancer Tamara Green allegedly danced for former Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick. You can't talk about the mystery at the intersection of Strawberry the Dancer and Kwame Kilpatrick the Mayor without diving into the state police investigation. Spoiler alert. Before we get started, I'll tell you this. Controversy about how the investigation was carried out ended up pouring gasoline on the fire of conspiracy theories and spreading it all the way to a campaign for the governor's office. I'm Christy Strasser, and this is Who Killed Strawberry? Episode 7, Strawberry and the Governor's Race. Here's how the connection between exotic dancer Tamara Green's murder and the governor's race went down. The New York Times announced on May 17, 2003, that the Detroit Police Department had requested a Michigan State Police investigation on accusations including assault, leaving the scene of an accident, drinking and driving, falsifying timesheets, and obstruction of justice, involving Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick and his security detail. It took a turn three days later when Attorney General Mike Cox announced that he would head up the probe after rumors that the commander of the state police had been at the alleged but never proven Manudian Mansion party. The commander denied being at any gathering at the mayor's mansion. Kilpatrick, he also denied any wrongdoing. In fact, his office said he was looking forward to the investigation, an investigation that Cox promised would be straightforward and not beholden to anyone. Here's a reading of his words. We don't need any more twists. What we need, what the mayor has asked for, and what the citizens of Detroit and Michigan deserve are the undisputed facts brought to light by a truly independent actor. And that's what I intend to deliver. When the investigation got underway, Kwame Kilpatrick's security officer, Walt Harris, he says in his book, Badge of Honor, that investigators wanted to talk to him. 
Harris went to his deposition armed with many things, including firsthand accounts of drinking on the job, Kwame's trysts with Christine Beattie, and numerous other women. He'd also heard about the Manudian party from cop pals in what was allegedly the same week it had happened in September 2002. But when he got there, no one seemed to want to hear what he had to say. These are the words Harris used to describe his testimony in his book. As I began to answer questions about Mayor Kirkpatrick's relationship with various women, the main interviewer halted me. He stopped the tape recorder and stated that my remarks would be off the record. He turned to the woman from the attorney general's office and proceeded to whisper loudly, I'm not going to include the mayor's personal life in this investigation. I'll stick to the criminal acts that were carried out or witnessed. He then turned the tape recorder on and said we were back on the record. And then five weeks after the Michigan State Police investigation began, Attorney General Mike Cox, he was done with it. He put out a press release that declared the Manugian party, quote, had all the earmarks of an urban legend. There were no charges against Kwame or his wife, none for members of the security team, for fake overtime bills, or for anything else. Here's how the New York Times reported it in print. The task was simple. Do we have enough evidence of crimes being committed? The Attorney General Mike Cox said. Quote, the answer is no, end quote. Mr. Cox said of the accusations, quote, not one witness had any direct or indirect credible knowledge of such an event, end quote. Mr. Kilpatrick has denied the accusations, saying that a party never occurred. Today, he urged the city to move beyond the investigation. Quote, let's forget about the nonsense and let's get to work, he said to cheers and a standing ovation from his supporters. He has also said that Mr. Brown was fired for violating his trust, not because of the investigation. With hindsight, we know the last part, it isn't true. But what about the rest? A lot of people didn't believe it. It raised eyebrows that Cox deposed Kwame Kilpatrick himself with only their lawyers present. No investigators were allowed. The deposition was not recorded. And Cox didn't interview Carlita Kilpatrick at all. You know, the woman who allegedly attached Strawberry, which set off the entire rumored chain of events. Asked why he didn't bother interviewing one of the few people specifically alleged to have been at the party that never happened, Cox said, quote, We were concerned about a felony, not a fistfight between two women. Lead investigators did not want the investigation shut down. They argued that they deserved more time to reach better, more far-reaching conclusions. At the very least, they wanted to question Kwame and his wife. That didn't happen. This is homicide investigator Al Bowman, who was removed from his squad when he started questioning if there was a connection between Tamara's death and the cover-up of a party at the Minutian. He was working alongside MSP investigators at the time, and they were sharing information. All of them were told to sit outside the door. Actually, I think initially Cox wanted them to leave, but, you know, they decided to sit out in the hall, and Cox would not allow any of them to present questions and or verbalize any questions. He didn't want to 
accept anything in writing from them regarding the questioning. I'm just telling you, in a sense, what yeah. they were telling me. And uh, it was going nowhere. So they were they were frustrated with what was happening, and their lieutenant was frustrated from what they were telling me. They weren't getting nowhere, and Cox was not cooperating. So how unusual was that? The attorney general himself overseeing an investigation, interviewing the main witness without a recording of it. I asked lawyer, WWJ reporter, and longtime legal analyst Charlie Lainton that question. There's a certain respect that the attorney general would give the mayor of Detroit. It's not unusual for two of the top leaders to talk off the record. If there was something there that Kwame really had some information, perhaps, then maybe they would go back on the record or do some kind of a sworn statement. But there's no reason to do a sworn statement at that time. Mike Cox was just doing an investigation. And for the two of them to talk, that's fine. And you also want to limit the rumor mill, too. If other people heard it, we all know that other people may hear different things. So I actually don't have a problem with Mike Cox talking to Kwame Kilpatrick. And actually, I'm glad that the mayor uh, did talk to Mike Cox. That's the end of it. The Michigan State Police investigation was being carried out at the same time that Al Bowman was heading up the Tamara Green homicide. MSP reached out to Bowman and he said they offered him information they had gathered about the never-proven Manugian Mansion party. They agreed to exchange that information. Bowman raced to the department on a Saturday to pick up the packet from MSP investigators. Then he had to hand it over to police administration at their request. And then he was removed from the squad. In a later affidavit, Bowman wrote that MSP had linked Tamara's phone records to a high-ranking City of Detroit official. The city's attorney at the time called Bowman's report idiotic and absurd. So I asked Al what information was being passed between himself and the state police. You know what repression is? I do. I repress a lot of things. That's as far as I could get with that. For their investigation, state police said they wanted hospital records from a three-hour window with women who were treated at Detroit Receiving Hospital, where rumors said Strawberry was taken after an attack at the Minutian. They wanted 911 tapes from the night of the rumored party, They wanted information about women licensed to dance and rumored to know something about what had gone down at the Minutian. They wanted hospital records from the time of the rumored party on any woman matching Tamara Green's description. They wanted dispatch reports, too, from the fire department. But detectives said all of those avenues were closed down when Cox announced the investigation was over. It was an extremely frustrating process, said retired MSP investigator Bob Bertie in an interview with a local TV affiliate. Here's what else he said. To see the way that it was handled, I have 30 years with the Michigan State Police, and I've never seen anything handled like this with an attorney general. 
Then something else started swirling in the background. A security guard filed an affidavit saying he had been hired to work at the never-proven Manudian party, and he said he'd seen Mike Cox there. This report is from WXYZ in Detroit. Here's the document. What's inside is startling and graphic. I witnessed Kwame Kilpatrick, Bernard Kilpatrick, and Mike Cox in attendance. I witnessed female exotic dancers present at the party. I saw Mike Cox getting a lap dance from one of the female exotic dancers. Mike Cox vehemently denied that accusation. Let me tell you something about Mike Cox. If he could uh, prosecute somebody for that, he would have. That was some BS. That's Detroit political insider Adolf Mongo. He was one of Kwame's campaign advisors. Hosts a radio show these days. A couple of things to note here. Cox and Kilpatrick are both from Detroit. But Cox is a conservative and Kilpatrick a Democrat. They're on opposite ends of the political spectrum. The security guard was also a questionable character. A guy from a motorcycle club with a lengthy criminal record. He failed to show for his deposition after he filed the report. Also, the idea that a mayor with his own executive protection unit would hire a motorcycle gang for security, it didn't get a lot of credence. Is there any world where Mike Cox and Kwame Kilpatrick party together? Bullshit. But Mike Cox is a different kind of guy. Yeah, smart guy, but him and Kwame, no, not hanging out. He is not going to Kwame's party. Cox strongly refuted all claims that he had been at the party or that a personal connection had played any part in what investigators said was a too quickly dismissed probe into the party and into any potential link to tomorrow's death. He said he'd never even been inside the Minutian. Months before the election, Cox was the frontrunner for the GOP nomination for the Michigan governor's seat. Then he lost. In the interim, attack ads were released. We recreated this one that featured dispatcher Sandy Cardenas. I dispatched the police cars that night, and I know for a fact several cars showed up at the scene. But by the next morning, tapes of the calls had disappeared. And Attorney General Mike Cox, he stopped his investigation after only 30 days. Is Mike Cox hiding something? Send Mike Cox a message that the truth is going to come out whether he wants it to or not. Cox lost the Republican gubernatorial primary election August 3rd, 2010. He came in third. How much of a role did the attack ads play or questions about Cox botching the Minutian Mansion investigation? Kyle Mellon weighed in for us. He's the editor of Mears a new site that covers the Michigan legislature. I think that there was enough trust in the fact that if there was a Democrat who was doing something swarmy, that a Republican attorney general would have done something about it had he found evidence of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think there was enough faith in Cox and his abilities at that time. If there was people who were questioning his, um, I don't know, authenticity or his um, professionalism, it certainly wasn't enough to, to sway the vote the way it did. I mean, it's not like Cox lost by a couple hundred votes. He lost by quite a bit. 
There were other problems. He had other problems. Sandy Cardenas, the dispatcher from the attack ads, testified in 2010 that several officers had told her Cox was at the Manugian party. Cardenas went even further. She said she had personally dispatched police to the party and that there were 911 tapes. Specifically, Cardenas said the location of the 911 call, the Manugian mansion, made it a high-priority run that drew supervisors and officers from at least four precincts. What I heard later on from the police officers is that there was a big fight. She went inside and there was a big fight that ensued. Carlita was beating up on someone and that's really all I know. Cardina said several police cars ended up at the mansion and the deputy chief on the scene personally instructed her to tell every officer to file a police report, even if they had only driven by. Then nothing happened. So where did the tapes go if they ever existed? Nobody knows who took them. I couldn't tell you that. All we know is they were gone. Retired homicide detective Mike Carlisle also told the Detroit News that he got a call sometime in 2002 while he was off duty about an officer down at the mansion. Two others from the squad were also notified that evening, Carlisle said. I got dressed. I headed out around 11 p.m. I, I got halfway down Jefferson. I got a call. I wasn't needed. So I turned around. I even filled out an overtime notice and got paid for it. Carlisle inherited the case of Strawberry's murder as an investigator in 2008. During that time, he told the Detroit News he got the state police notes on the investigation and was, quote, surprised, to say the least, that his account of being called to the mansion was not in the notes. Also fueling speculation about what was behind Cox's short-lived investigation was MSP's lead investigator, Sergeant Mark Krebs. He said in a sworn deposition that senior city police officials barred him from taking a box of 36 911 tapes from Detroit Police Headquarters. Krebs had subpoenaed the tapes as part of the MSP investigation. When MSB investigators went to retrieve them, Detroit police officials allegedly would not let the tapes leave the building. MSP and DPD, they worked out a compromise. The tapes were sealed in a box and locked in a vault where they could only be viewed by investigators who were on the premises. But when MSP got there the next day to carry out their side of the agreement, Krebs said investigators discovered the seal had been broken on the box. 30 of those 911 tapes were missing. We were appalled, Krebs said. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Mike Cox, who's now an attorney in private practice, refused to speak to me for this podcast. But he did send an email. Producer Zach Clark will read what he wrote. The AG's office and MSP interviewed over 110 witnesses and put over 20 under oath, and none found evidence of a party. Nor did Kim Worthy find any evidence of any party when she looked into the issue in 2008. Needless to say, the made-up party is old news and I have nothing to add. And as I said before, while I investigated and solved hundreds of homicides as an assistant Wayne County prosecutor and head of the homicide unit, I don't know anything about Ms. Green other than what I read in the newspapers and in Judge Rosen's opinion. The judge Cox is referring to, Gerald Rosen, has retired. He oversaw a $150 million lawsuit filed by the Tamara Green family against Kwame Kilpatrick and the city of Detroit. The suit claimed Kwame made it impossible for her murder to be solved. In the opinion Cox referenced in his email, Rosen wrote this. Plaintiffs have failed to produce evidence linking Kwame Kilpatrick to any of the acts or incidents plaintiffs have identified as interfering with or obstructing the Tamara Green homicide investigation. Plaintiffs seemingly do not claim that they've unearthed any evidence, whether direct or circumstantial, of any actions taken by defendant Kilpatrick himself to interfere with the Green homicide investigation. Nor have the plaintiffs identified any evidence of defendant Kilpatrick's encouragement of or personal involvement in any of the acts through which the Green investigation purportedly was obstructed or impeded, namely 
the alleged destruction and removal of evidence and materials from the homicide file, the reassignment of the case to different investigators, and the transfers of DPD officers involved in the investigation. Rosen's dismissal of the case, and we'll dive into that in the next episode, it was cut and dried. But the judge did note some interesting things in his decision. We've already told you about how Detroit is the world's biggest small town. So keep that in mind when you hear what Rosen wrote about what testimony in the case had revealed about the MSP investigation and possible interference in it by the mayor's office. A number of text messages were sent and received by senior City of Detroit officials, including Police Chief Oliver, Chief of Staff Beatty, Corporate Counsel Ruth Carter, discussing which outside agency would or should be given the investigative task. In one such message sent May 19, 2003, Ruth Carter reported to Defendant Kilpatrick she had spoken to Attorney General Cox in the wake of news stories that he and the MSP would be conducting this investigation, and he asked who we'd rather be cleared by, him or the Wayne County Prosecutor Duggan. After the Attorney General and the MSP commenced their investigation, Kilpatrick administration officials continued to exchange text messages regarding the investigation. For example, on May 21, 2003, Carter sent Defendant Kilpatrick a text message asking whether he was comfortable with shifting the focus of the investigation from you to the DPD, i.e. the EPU, and Defendant Kilpatrick responded he was very comfortable with this. Carter then sent Defendant Kilpatrick another text message promising to get that started. There was also this in Rosen's finding a fact. Mike Cox is going to do a separate investigation than state police. Carter wrote in response to a question by Kilpatrick on why Cox was holding a press conference. He called me Saturday and asked who he'd rather be cleared by, him or Duggan. I said him. I think he feels the governor put him out there, so he wants to show independence. To recap, the city of Detroit attorney texted Kwame Kilpatrick and said she had talked to the attorney general during the investigation. And the attorney general had asked her, who would you rather be cleared by? Cox also told the mayor's attorney he wanted to show independence. I asked legal analyst Charlie Langton if this is why the word botched usually prefaces Michigan State Police investigation when people are talking about the never-proven Manugian party. I think when you get into the, you know, the city or corporation council or something of those natures, it's a little, it's a little close to the, it's too close. But Mike Cox probably wanted to figure out other things that were going on in the city of Detroit, maybe the least of it, this party rumor at the Manoogian Mansion. There were real problems in the Detroit Police Department, and that is of interest to Mike Cox. And I would think that Mike Cox was focused on that as opposed to this sexy party. I got a copy of the official Michigan State Police investigation into Kwame Kilpatrick. It took a Freedom of Information Act request several months of waiting, and a nearly $300 fee. What they gave me was a thumb drive with two weighty PDFs on it. The official MSP report on their investigation into Kilpatrick is about 300 pages long. It 
It's neatly typed, well-organized. It's titled Investigation of Obstruction of Justice and or Misconduct in Office. The report details a couple of incidents that were well covered in the local media. One where a member of the Executive Protection Unit left his shift, went to a nightclub, got drunk, struck a parked car with a city SUV, and covered it up. Another allegation was about 24 hours a day of overtime pay for multiple days in a row by two members of Kwame's security. Plus, there were several other acts of fake overtime bills. Turns out there was no overtime policy in effect. So essentially, it ended up that there was no rule that could be broken. The third, and some would say most important allegation in the official report, is that there was a party at the Menudian that was covered up, and records of it were destroyed. Notes about tips and calls and interviews go on for hundreds of pages in this report. But the result of the MSP investigation into the party, it's summed up in a few short paragraphs. Zet Clark will read what it says. A neighborhood canvas indicated there were parties at the mansion, but they appeared to be political in nature. The neighbors did indicate there were loud parties at a park next to the mansion and that the police were called for these incidents. The police officer was questioned and denied being a part of the party, but refused to take part in a polygraph. Most of the executive protection unit officers have been interviewed. There is one female officer that left the department and moved out of state. The 7th precinct has been checked and there is no indication any records were destroyed. And further, there has been no information that any officer connected to the 7th precinct was called to the scene. As of this date, there has been no credible and or reliable information to indicate there was an incident at the Manugian mansion. Most of the rumors have been investigated. As of this date, July 10th, 2003, there is one tip that is open in reference to this incident. I reached out to every named investigator on these reports. Most of them had retired at least a decade ago. One in particular I tried to track through his daughter, who is now a high-ranking MSP officer. She told me she would pass on my message, and she wished me luck. I didn't hear back from anybody. The open tip referenced in the report it feels like new information, or at least it's information that I've never seen before. It's from the FBI. The report says the FBI got a tip about two Detroit police officers who had seen the mayor's wife get into a fight with a stripper at the Minutian. MSP investigators talked to the cops, both of whom told them they had no knowledge of the party. MSP followed up with the FBI and discovered that an agent had a confidential informant, or a CI, as it's called in the report, who told them the cops had told him about the party in the fall of 2002. The CI, whose name is redacted, was under indictment on federal charges and had offered to give information on corruption among Detroit police, presumably for a lighter sentence. And then nothing else is noted. The report just says the tip remains open. There's another interview with a Detroit cop 
It's a little bit hard to follow in the report because so many names are redacted, but the gist of it is that the top talked to MSP investigators very reluctantly because he was worried that if word got out he had taught, it would make his life, quote, miserable. This cop said he had heard about the Manudian party from a security guard at Detroit Medical Center. This guy had called him from the hospital to say uniformed officers were there because a dancer had been injured at what he called a freaky party. The cop said he understood there were several disturbance calls made by different people and a midnight shift supervisor and an unknown number of uniformed cops had responded. The interviewee in this report said a person whose name is redacted threw parties at the mansion while it was being remodeled for the Kilpatrick family and had hired girls from All Stars. That's the club where Tamara Green worked. The report ends with the MSP investigator saying the cop took his business card and agreed to pass it on to his sources. And then there's nothing else. There are short notes in other places about other tips and interviews that had happened in May and June 2003. Hundreds of tips, dozens of notes per page, and it goes on for more than 130 pages. A lot of the tips are about security guards or cops or medical staffers who said they knew about the party. In an interview, a female cop whose name had been bandied about as an exotic dancer at the Minutian, she told MSP the dancer in question was not her. She said she had heard the dancer was a woman who worked for All Stars, a woman who had been recently murdered. The name is redacted, but all signs point to her naming Tamara Green as the dancer. Another witness, an emergency room nurse, told police she had treated a dancer with multiple tattoos who said she'd been assaulted at the Minutian. Her memory of dates and times and names was scant, so she promised to find her medical notes and get back to them. A notable witness was a legislative aide for then-Congressman John Conyers. She told MSP a friend told her he had talked to an officer who had first-hand knowledge that the mayor's wife had attacked a dancer at the mansion and the dancer was paid off not to press charges. The aide had the friend call the cop and made him retell the story while investigators listened. She turned over a tape of the call. In one interview that looks straight from all the president's men, a cop turned witness agreed to talk to MSP officers in a parking lot across the street from a school. He said he was tight with a dancer whose name is redacted in the report. He says she called him from a hospital and had him pick her up after she'd gotten stitches in her head from an attack at the Minutian. The cop says he had to protect her identity because she was afraid she would be hurt over what she knew had happened at the mansion. According to him, in this parking lot interview, he picked up the stancer in an unmarked police-issued car. He said she got in the car with a black eye and a puffy face. Although every name is blacked out, the woman he said he picked up, it couldn't be Strawberry. This woman is alive in August 2003, 
three months after Tamara Green had been murdered. But the woman the cop says he picked up from the mansion told him another dancer who was there that night was later killed. The cop, he was assigned to narcotics. He said he had all this information written down in a journal he kept in a safe place. He was suspended from the force for reasons we don't know, because his name is redacted. He said he'd kept the journal for an upcoming preliminary exam. MSP investigators considered the parking lot interview intriguing enough that they included a full transcript of it in their report. Here's a reading of it. Last fall, I got a phone call from this person. She was crying. She told me to come pick her up. What is it? A daytime phone call? Nighttime phone call? It was a nighttime phone call. Nighttime meaning what time? Like after midnight. Okay. So you had a phone call from this person and without identifying this person. And again, I'm getting to how you believe what she's telling you is because you know her. From the time I've spent with her, I mean, it's not an intimate relationship, but she's been very reliable as far as giving me other information. Okay. She let me ask you, is she a snitch as when you were a dope officer? Was she one of the snitches? Yeah, but not a not a paid snitch. She's given you reliable information in the past. Yes. All right. So you get a phone call from from this female that's given you reliable information in the past, and it's late at night. It's in October, beginning of October, end of October. Uh, actually, it's like the middle. Like the middle of October. Yeah, I'd have to look at my book for the exact date. And she says what to you on the phone? She told me to come pick her up. She called you from a phone, a cell phone? She was crying. She said, come get me. And I said, well, where are you for me to come and get you? So she starts crying and rattling on. I said, you got to tell me where you are. Well, what was she rattling on about? Uh, she was just crying. She says these, these motherfuckers are crazy and this is a bad scene and things like that. She was basically rattling on. See, I can remember she did like parties and stuff like that. Did parties how? I mean, like, you know, she was a dancer, so she did private parties and things of that nature. <laughs> well, let me back up here, too. What kind of dancer is she? She's an exotic dancer? A nude dancer? Topless dancer? Correct. What club does she dance at? Oh, jeez. I don't want to do that right now. Right, right. Um, okay, she's a dancer. Topless dancer at nude clubs. She calls you. She's crying. She's upset. What does she eventually say? Uh, I need a ride. You got to come pick me up. Then again, not being stupid or smartass, where was she? She said she was downtown at the Manoogian Mansion, and I said, what? She said it again, and I said, well, I can't come down there. I said, you're going to have to leave there. I said, you call me, and I'll come get you. Okay. That kind of floored me. I said, you got to get out of there, and you can call me. Yeah, it floored me, too. So what happened next? So I say, you got to get out of there and call me. A couple hours after that, she called me and I picked her up uh, in front of receiving. When she called you the second time, what'd she say? She told me where she was and told me to come and get her. All right. So you picked her up. Uh, what time of night do you think it is? Uh, it was almost, it was, it was late. It was after three. Did she have any band-aids or anything that it looked like she was treated with? Yes. She said she was treated. I didn't see a wristband or anything. Did you pick her up alone? Yeah. What car did you pick her up in? Monte Carlo, departmental. 
Eventually, the interview ends, and the cop agrees to try to get the exotic dancer to talk to investigators. He said she was afraid. These investigators, you can see their thoroughness on the page. They immediately tried to get his phone records. Then they got pushback in the form of a request for a warrant. They also tried to track down the woman in hospital records. And there they got entangled in HIPAA regulations, the kind that protect medical records. The report notes go on and on in this vein. Lots of questions, lots of tips, lots of interviews, lots of avenues that still had to be explored. But after Mayor Kilpatrick was interviewed by Attorney General Mike Cox and Tom Furtaw, the attorney, on June 20, 2003, the lead investigators were informed by Furtaw that the investigation was going to be closed on June 24, 2003, four days later. There would be no more subpoenas issued. With all of these tips outstanding, the case was closed. Furtall was Cox's senior advisor. We weren't able to talk to him about why the case was shut down. Just a few days after he and Cox had talked to Kwame without investigators present. Furtall died in 2008 at 43 years old when he collapsed on stage while playing the guitar with his band. Mike Cox's name was tossed around as a potential Republican candidate for governor again in 2022. He didn't run. But him seeking the governor's seat is something political insiders like Kyle Mellon predict could happen again. He would have to kind of reinvent himself and come back as a kind of a different person. But that's not to say he couldn't do it. It's been done before. It might be some people who'd appreciate it. He owes government, no question about it. But would the never-proven party haunt him again? Legal analyst Charlie Langton weighs in. We're still talking about this 20 years later, and it is one of the biggest unsolved mysteries in Detroit. And yes, Mike Cock was the attorney general at the time. He had the power to put this whole investigation to rest. Did he? Did he not? I think that question will always be out there. And so, yes, he'll be asked about it. In our next episode, the lawsuit that went nowhere. This is a very long decision, 102 pages. Now, there have been countless hearings. There have been many, many depositions. But today, Judge Rosen, after months and months, said that there will be no trial. This is devastating to the family. They are shocked. There is a decision, and the decision is there is no case. Who Killed Strawberry is a production of WWJ News Radio in Detroit. The podcast is written, hosted, and produced by me, Christy Strasser. It's also produced by Zat Clark. Special thanks to Bill Smee for copy editing. Give us a rating and be sure to subscribe. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Anyone with information on the murder of Tamara Green should call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-SPEAK-UP. All tips are anonymous. All views, statements, and opinions made by people in this podcast are theirs alone. 
all individuals should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we are all realizing that the quality of our air, especially our indoor air, is really darn important. In 30 minutes, Puro Air will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 